Lord Jesus. We want to we want to see you, Lord. We want to hear from you. And Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear you, Lord. Hearts that are good ground for you to, to plant something within us, Lord. To, to drop a seed in that's going to produce fruit amongst us, God. We thank you for your, your living word. We thank you that it is so much to us, Lord. It is our daily bread. We pray now for Drew, Lord, that you would anoint him, especially to speak to us, Lord, your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There we go. Uh, I think it's a bit loud. Just turn it down a bit. <laughs> okay. Normally I'm out there and I can't hear my own voice. and uh, It's a bit disconcerting. Anyway. Uh, well, good morning. Welcome if you're visiting. Although I think... Most of you I've seen before, so that's good. At least you've come back. Um, so we're going to uh, look at um, uh, how we should remember God this morning um, because it's easy in this world to get distracted by the things around us and forget the goodness of God sometimes. So we're just going to focus on um, some passages in the Bible which speak about how we should remember God and why we should remember God because that's an important motive. So remembering I'm terrible at remembering things. Hannah will tell me something, I'll nod in agreement, but I'll, you know, two hours later, I'll be doing the opposite or something. Every, yeah, okay, got some, uh, it's not just me then. <laughs> um, so remember, Valentine's Day is around the corner, is it not? So the shops have been telling us since, I don't know, Christmas, I think. Um, so what would you do for someone special in your life? You would maybe buy flowers. Um, you'd probably buy a card at least, um, some chocolates, I don't know, whatever. You might go out for dinner. Um, or you might just do nothing because, let's face it, it's all a bit of a scam. Uh, uh, so, um, I mean, we don't give out St. George's Day cards, do we? Or St. Patrick's Day cards. Anyway, there you go. There you go. Um, so imagine if... Uh, I, I would go out, I'd buy a card, um, perhaps, I don't know, Hannah hasn't said if she w wants anything for Valentine's Day this year, so I don't know whether I, I should or not. Um, and she opens, and opens the card and she reads the card, and the card says something like, Dear Hannah, hope you like the flowers and chocolates, happy Valentine's Day, because I had to, Drew. <laughs> I mean, how does that sound? It doesn't sound particularly loving, does it? doesn't show... Uh, my love. Hannah certainly does not feel the love, and, but Mr. Hallmark and maybe Mr. Clinton would. Um, perhaps Hannah might say, what is this? And she might not talk to me for a while. But this morning, we're going to look at why God doesn't want our tick box exercise obedience. He doesn't want us to just to do things because, you know, it's ticking another box. So let's um, pray again as we come to God's Word. And, uh, and then we'll read um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. But let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word, your word of life. Um, we thank you that it has um, all we need um, for life on this earth. And uh, Lord, we come this morning and we ask you to speak through um, your word to our hearts, Lord. Show us um, uh, how, how we can honor you more in, in what we do and how we remember you and how we carry out um, our remembering you. Um, in our day-to-day -day lives. Help me, Father, to speak clearly. Help me not to um, uh, get in the way. Um, but Lord, would you speak through in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, I believe it'll be up on the screen as well, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter, so I hope you're, uh, you're uh, looking forward to the sound of my voice. Uh, <laughs> it's 20 verses, oh dear. Um, there, so here we go, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his, his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you shall eat bread without scarcity, in which you shall lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget your Lord, the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your hearts and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of... Oh, this is a long sentence. Out of... <laughs> out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and, my, and, uh, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations the Lord makes perish before you. So shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. <clears throat> God says quite a few times there about remembering God. Um, what does God mean by remembering in this passage? Um, I think um, he says quite clearly in, in verse 6 um, about how you shall keep the commandments of um, the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. So by fearing him, by fearing him and by walking in his ways. The other way. So this command that he has commanded them is a command from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, which I'll quickly read, which is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Um, you know, that covers virtually all the Ten Commandments. 
Because if, if you're putting God first, if you're loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, then every single moment is dedicated to him, and the chance for wandering astray is reduced. So God here has three, um, three warnings for the Israelites. Be careful, um, take care, and beware. You notice it kind of escalates, because if you tell someone to be careful, it means you like, give a lot of attention to what you're doing. Um, if you tell someone to take care, you know, it applies there's like danger afoot. Um, and if you tell them to beware, then it really means there's danger just around the corner. Um, my sister um, lives in the island, and she has five children. And we used to go and visit quite often. Um, and uh, it used to be that they were all running around like absolute chaos. Um, and um, she used to be constantly telling them, be careful, careful, be careful, careful, you know, all the time. It would do my head in. Um, but, you know, it, it's because she could see, you know, if they weren't careful, something would happen. So God is telling us here, to be telling the Israelites here to be careful. So the Israelites were successful where they went. Um, when they were following God. Um, if you think about the kings of Israel later on who were successful, who followed God, they were really, really successful. Um, and the evil kings, well, you know, they weren't that successful. Um, fun fact, um, good kings always reigned more than 20 years, and evil kings reigned on average 18 years. So there's blessing in obeying and following God. So Jim has obviously been a very good boy um, to be here this morning. <laughs> um, he knows what he's doing. He, he knows what is best. And these commandments that he's given them, all the little ceremonial things and um, you know, falling into a pit and making sure you cover a pit or put a sign up, you know, all the health and safety stuff that's in Exodus, you know, it's all there for the protection of the Israelites to you know, make them uh, not successful really, but... Um, prolong them and preserve them um, for, to take, take care of each other. <clears throat> and if the Israelites were not careful, then they would forget God. Um, because God warns them here because it has happened before. In verses 3 and 4, um, yes, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. So they would, you know, they, they were humbled and they had to depend on God because they'd forgotten how good God is. If we think about the other episodes when um, Moses struck the rock, um, which he shouldn't have done, um, he struck the rock and water flowed out. Um, the Israelites had been complaining and grumbling about, you know, oh, it's so much better in Egypt. Um, but here we are in the wilderness. Um, you know, they got distracted by the horizontal things around them, by the lack of blessing they seem to have in the wilderness um, rather than horizontal blessing of being in God's presence and following him. So take care in verses 11 to 16 um, because when you do forget God, God humbles you. He says this again, that he humbles you and um, uh, feeds you um, with manna that you did not know. So when we take care, we might say take care to someone if they were leaving. Um, when I worked in Phones for You, 
I re all, all those years ago, I realized that I needed to have some sort of a catchphrase to say to people as they left, because I just kept on, bye, you know, my mouth just didn't really do what it, I was telling it to do. So I just used to say, take care, because, you know, that seemed like a middle of the ground, you know, kind of like not, you know, dismissive and not kind of over the top. So um, I used to say, take care, and, you know, it seemed to do me all right, because I was there for a little while. Um, and people came back, so there you go. Um, and so they did take care. Um, so all, all, when you think of take care, you think of uh, maybe saying, look after yourself, don't do anything stupid, I want to see you again. Or maybe literally in the past couple of days, don't slip over, you know, take care. Um, and all these paraphrases seem to speak of protection and sustaining, um, definition-wise, rather than careful, which is like paying attention to what you're doing. Um, so. The Israelites here are told to take care, and they're told to take care because there are ways in which they can slip up and they can, um, they can go astray. In uh, verses 12 to 16, um, God recalls that long sentence that I nearly didn't read in one breath. Um, God recalls all the works that he has done. So he, the Israelites know that all these things have happened in the past, and so they know that they can trust God for the future. Um, if they take care. Um, and if they were to get prideful, if our hearts are to be lifted up, it says there, uh, 17, verse 7, no, not 17. Ah, it says there somewhere, 14, thank you. And then your heart be lifted up. So you go through all this blessing and then your heart be lifted up. Um, it's... It's talk, you know, you get pride. Like when things are going well, you might start to think, oh, I'm doing all right for myself. This is going well. Um, and that's when God wants us to not forget him, to forget all these things, forget, you know, all the things that the Israelites had done. And beware, finally, um, because if you forget God and pride rises up, you'll per perish. In uh, verse 20, I think especially it says this, um, like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So beware. Beware of the dog. Beware of the live electricity. Beware of all these dangers around. There is danger outside of God. Um, there is death outside of God. So that is something to be fearful of. Back in verse um, six, when God says that you should keep his commands by walking in his ways and by fearing him, why should we fear God if he's got all the good things for us? By fearing him is because he is the one who will perish the nations before the Israelites as they went into the promised land. And that's how you would end up if you were to forget God. I'm talking a lot about pride, um, and I think um, people talk about original sin. There's this thing called original sin. What is the original sin? What kicks it all off? And to me, the original sin is pride, because pride thinks is, is anti-God. Pride, it tarnishes everything it touches, um, because it, it brought in, um, brought about the rebellion in eternity. Um, it brought, led to the fall, led to many Old Testament heroes' um, downfall. It's used by the devil when Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness. 
Um, and it's used by the devil when we are tempted. When you are tempted to think that you are good, when you are tempted to think that you've done all this stuff, it will lead you away from God. And that's what God is warning us about here. So why does he give all these warnings to the Israelites? It's because he's chosen them. They're his chosen people from Abraham, and, um, and uh, they will um, be blessed, and you know, numerous of the stars, and grains of sand, all these things. And, he's, and because he's chosen them, he's jealous for them. So it, he's jealous for them um, for, for their praise. He's jealous for their um, obedience because um, of all he's done and all he wants to do, he wants to bless them. That's the other thing with this passage. He says he wants to bless his people, um, but they must remember to um, remember God by obeying um, what he's commanded them. So God is not looking for lip service. He's not looking for um, uh, uh, just obedience um, for, for, for a tick box exercise. He's looking for obedience in reverence and fear. And so when we do obey, sorry, when the Israelites obey, um, uh, then we should praise um, in verse 10. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So God enables us to work. God blesses us in our day-to-day work. If you have a large view of God, he's in command of all things. So your supervisor, the CEO, the government, your teachers, the laws of nature, all these things which enable you to work are, are supplied ultimately by God who is in control of all things. And it tells us, this passage also tells us about the Israelites, about how they will disobey. They will forget, and God knew this um, before he said, them, said all this stuff. He knew that they would forget. And this was written by Moses so that it would be read out again and again as part of standard Jewish education, that they would go through this and they would remember all that God has done. Remember all that God has done and then obey God and fear him. They must not be proud, otherwise times of testing will come. So these commands are also given for their good. If they obey, then there is long life and there is blessing. So that's Deuteronomy 8, um, in terms of the law, in terms of works-based stuff. So the Old Testament is works-based stuff. So God is wanting the Israelites to hit the mark. They want, he's wanting the Israelites to, to get all the Ten Commandments perfect to fulfill the law. But they can't do that. God knows that. And so when we look at the Bible, when I look at the Bible, I always look for law and gospel. So the law tells us what we can never do, and the gospel tells us what Christ has done. So the law tells us what we're really like. It tells us that we are sinful. It tells us that we will forget God. It tells us that even though God will bless us, it tells us that we will forget God. It tells us that we need to obey and that we need to fear, but we don't obey and we don't fear. But Christ has obeyed. So when we look at the Old Testament, we can see how the pictures of the Old Testament point forward to the New. And so what comparisons can we draw from this passage 
in, protect, in particularly for us um, here today, if we look at it through the lens of what Christ has done. So, like the Israelites, if we are Christians, we are God's chosen people, and He is jealous for His own glory, and He's jealous for that glory to come from those He has chosen. He is worthy of our praise and adoration in times of wilderness and plenty. He is worthy of our praise in how He leads us through both. He shows His greatness in creation, in wonders and miracles, in drawing people to Himself, in changing hearts, instilling new creations in sinful man. He is worthy of our praise in how He has saved us by giving us all we need physically and spiritually if we are humble before Him and if we trust Him. And the Israelites had seen great things, and life was going to be a battle until the promised land was cleared. And we too have witnessed great, God's great love and provision in Christ, and yet we still battle until we rest in Christ's power. Just like the Israelites, God has promised also to discipline us. Um, it's not an easy um, life, is it? <laughs> and discipline sometimes is unpleasant. Um, if you look at Hebrews um, 12, um, verse 7 to 11, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's the term that God used in um, Deuteronomy 8 as well, isn't it? About how a father disciplines his son. Um, for, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all have sorry in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have already sorry we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplined us for our good that we may share in his holiness for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He tests us to show us what we're like. Like in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, it, it shows us who we are. In the face of our sin and forgetfulness, it does show us our need of Him, which is ultimately for our good. So when our hearts you know, sorry, what is in our hearts when we are in times of discipline? Like when you're wandering in the wilderness, perhaps, do you remember God? Or do you run from Him to indulge in the sinful nature? What your sinful heart wants to do. We are sinful people, and it is often the easiest thing to do to be self-centered. But also, be aware that times of discipline come when um, when, when we're living it up in the promised land, when, it's, when times are good, do you remember God? Or do you congratulate yourself on how good you are? Um, the success today is centered around um, how good you are and how much money you have. Do you have you know, house, car, phone, whatever? All these things are good, but it's idolizing them and being proud of them, which is the sinful nature rising up. So when discipline and testing comes, we must remember um, God's work in us, in Christ. So when Christ um, 
Sorry. So um, we must remember God's works. Um, God works for us in Christ. I think I typed that wrong. Sorry. <laughs> um, so physically, do we claim credit um, for the things around us that we have? Or spiritually, when things are good, do we claim credit when we think that we're good enough? It's not by our might, but by his spirit. So God wanted to bless the Israelites in their obedience, and similarly God wants to bless us in our obedience, but not because of our obedience. Okay, because God doesn't, we aren't trying to earn our way into heaven. So when God mentions obedience and walking in the commands given, he supplies blessing. And for us, when we see commands around us, um, there's blessing if we stay within those commands. Example, uh, if you are driving, um, if you drive within the speed limit, there is blessing in that you won't get caught speeding and you'll get to your de destination hopefully on time. If you drive above the speed limit, then it's likely you'll get there before um, you need to, but it might also mean that you get caught and there is not blessing in getting caught and being fined. And so the Israelites, if they lived within the law of God, blessing would come. But if they went outside it, they might appear to be getting there quicker, so to speak. Um, but in the end, it would be a curse. So for us, um, I'm not saying if you, if you obey God and if you um, do what he says, that God will give you a, a house flowing with milk and honey. Your neighbors will think you're amazing and, and wonder how good you have it. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what I am saying is that if we truly lay hold of the gospel, um, we will love God and want to obey because we know it pleases him. Blessing or trouble, that's up to God because he is sovereign. But if we do obey, we are blessed and we should not fear. Sorry, and we should fear because we do not want to forget him, all his great works and what he's done for us in Christ. Um, let's turn to... Philippians 2, I was thinking of um, obedience and fear when I was looking at this passage, and I was thinking about how do we obey then if, and how do we fear if Christ has done it all, and if perfect love casts out fear, um, as it says in 1 John. So we'll look at um, Philippians 2, I'm going to read from verse 1, um, but I'm going to kind of zoom in on verses 12 and 13. Um, so, yes, Philippians 2. So, there is, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have all, always obeyed, not now, so, sorry, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So therefore is the promise. Um, so, sorry. So the therefore in verse 12 is there to tell us to look at the stuff that's come before. So we can look at all the things that Christ has done. Because Christ has humbled himself, become obedient to death, God has ex- highly exalted him. And because of that, we can work out our own salvation, which is a big ask, it's a big task. But then also, God um, gives us his power um, to work, to will and to work for his glory. So let's talk about, so obedience is a thing we're meant to be doing, right? And we're meant to be obeying in a certain way um, and fear is um, how we are to do it with fear and trembling. We obey, we work out our sal- salvation with fear and trembling. So, New Testament fear is different from an Old Testament fear. This fear is awe and reverence rather than panic and alarm, like if you were running away from something. So, uh, fear has to do with punishment, it says elsewhere in the New Testament. And um, Jesus has done away with that fear in perfect love, and that we do not have that um, fear of um, uh, condemnation and um, dread, because if we're trusting in Christ, that is, if you're not trusting in Christ, you need to be in fear and dread of the all-holy God. Um, So Jesus is the way. He casts out the Old Testament fear, bringing a new heart that obeys from a position of love and awe in what Christ has done, rather than a heart that obeys in duty and fear of God. So a quick illustration here, which I've pinched from um, John Piper, about fear, and it's, it's a really, really good illustration. So I'm going to read it, and it's just got his, his son, and anyway, you're, so this is, imagine John Piper's speaking now, not me. Um, I went to visit a man named Dick Teagan with Carsten, which is his son, um, who was six. Uh, he had a dog at the door. When we opened the door, and he looked, um, when, he, when we opened the door, the dog looked cast an eyeball to eyeball. This is a big dog. Um, and uh, John, so John Piper sends Carsten back to the car to grab something that they'd forgotten. And uh, he went running back, because he saw this massive dog. 
And the dog went loping up behind the six-year-old at his very height with a little growl, and Carson was terrified. And uh, Dick, the dog's owner, leaned out the door and shouted to Carson, Carson, maybe you better not run. He doesn't like it when people run away from him. And uh, John Piper tweeted, thought, I'm going to use it in a sermon one day. This is where it is. Um, and I thought, what a picture of us and God. Just walk beside him. If you're walking beside a big giant dog, then you've got the, um, the protection. The growl that he growls is a growl of our protection, not our destruction. But if we're running away from God, then God is horrifically dangerous to run away from. And we should be terrified to run away from God. So we walk with God by obedience and in fear. And when, if your obedience is driven by fear, um, in, in, a, in a fear of getting found out, it won't last. But if it's driven by a fear of, this is an amazing or holy God, and he's done so much for me, I can obey out of fear like that. So obedience then. <clears throat> For Israel, it was keeping the commands and walking in his ways and fearing him. But obedience for us works slightly differently because Christ has, uh, has come. When Jesus was quizzed on um, what the greatest commandment was that they should follow, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How are we to fulfill those two commandments? It's a big ask again. And we can aim for it, and that's good, but it's not going to save us. But Jesus has done it. Jesus has obeyed where we could not obey. So as we read in Philippians 2, in the middle there, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus feared and obeyed his Father as the perfect Son of God and man, fulfilling the commandment and providing the sacrifice to atone for our disrespect and our disobedience of God in our sinful, distracted, proud lives. And when Jesus had been humbled and obedient, he was then raised up by God. So now we aren't Jesus, but he is our representative, and if we are trusting in him, his righteousness is ours, and we will be raised um, with him. So our role is um, different to that of the Israelites, different in terms of how in, in, in the driving force behind um, our obedience. As I've said, the, the Israelites were obeying out of... Um, uh, out of duty, well, not out of duty, but yeah, they got to a duty stage, didn't they? Anyway, sorry, went ad libbing there. Um, so, our role, if we um, carry over um, to this passage, um, we are to work out our salvation. Um, so, what is our salvation? How do we work out our salvation? Our salvation is in Christ. And so, if we're working out of um, our salvation, then um, it's, it's, a good, it's, it's the right way around. If we're working into our salvation, then that's the wrong way around. 
So Paul then goes on to um, give us some top tips in verses 14 to 18 in uh, Philippians 2. Um, he says, so do all things without grumbling or questioning in verse 14, that you may not Sorry, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Us, us Brits, love to complain, don't we? We love a good whinge. Oh, the trains are late. Oh, the snow, it's like that much snow and we're on a, fr- a Saturday timetable on a Friday. Ugh. This train's going to Cannon Street, not Charing Cross. Ugh, gonna have to change at London Bridge. You know, all these things, you know, little things, long queues, you know, barista didn't make your coffee quite right. Ugh, you know, oh dear. Brexit, oh no, don't get us started. Taxes, oh my words, you know, well. When you think about it, again, complaining is pride, which is rising up, thinking, oh, I. Why are they doing this? It'd be much better if they did what I think, because I, you know, obviously I think what's what's perfect and and good, you know. So why aren't they doing it the way I want? Um, So pride rises up and um, thinking we know best. But God has put these people in control, and we trust God for his sovereign provision. But why shouldn't we complain? It's so that we are innocent, blameless, without blemish. Is, I think Paul is um, maybe uh, speaking with hyperbole here, but he's, he's a comparison between the crooked and twisted generation and um, those who are loving and following Christ. So the Israelites complained, and they were banned from the Promised Land and wandered for 40 years. Um, Paul might, might not have been making that point, to the Gentile believers. Um, But the lesson still stands. God does not want a complaining people. Maybe I should just have a slight caveat here, whereas um, don't misunderstand me. Don't just, like, let life float past you. Um, Christians should still make a stand for those in society who are marginalized, maybe not those delayed on the trains, but others. We should have an impact on society you know, we should speak up against the effects of sin in our world, holding on to Christ and proclaiming his perfect ways amongst this twisted and crooked generation. And we have to do that by holding fast to the gospel. Verse 16, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice. If we hold fast to the gospel, then our need for complaining will fade. The gospel and its benefits is all we need for life on earth. And if we are complaining, what are we saying to those around us about the gospel that we, we hold dear? And as we hold that gospel dear, we can rejoice with, with Paul and with each other at the victory we have in Christ. So God enables us to obey. He enables us to obey um, by his power, not just through these practical steps, but also by his power. In verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure.
The kind of obedience we don't have is one of impending punishment if we know and love God because we trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Instead, we have um, the fear and trembling we have is an awe-filled fear at the all-powerful God working in us. God works in us so that our will is effective in order to work. That's what this is saying. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The will and the work there refer to the you rather than to the God in the phrase beforehand. And then we, re- we work for God's good pleasure. So I want to encourage you to remember God. Remember God in how you obey him. That you obey him out of um, uh, love and fearing in awe. Because the almighty creator God is creating in you the will to obey his spirit so that you can work out your salvation from trusting in what Christ has done. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ, the man of God who came to earth, Lord, to um, live the perfect life that we could never live. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, for his obedience to your will. Thank you, God, for your provision for us in Christ. Lord, that we need not work up our way to heaven because you have come down to earth. And you have paid the price that we so deserve. And Lord, we are in awe of your love and your great mercy towards us. We are in awe because we are so small and insignificant, and yet you are a great and holy God who saves us. Thank you for for Christ. Thank you for uh, your will, Lord, to work out salvation for us in Christ, for us. But Lord, we need you. We need your spirit, Lord, to help us Father, to, to know that more and more. Father, to love you more and more. Father, to, when we obey you, Father, to obey you in love and not in fear. Lord, you are a great and holy God, and you are amazing, and we are in awe of that. And Lord, we do not want to run from you. Um, so Lord, we, we thank you for, for Christ. We thank you for... Um, your word that tells us all these things, that shows us how bad we are and how much we need you, and tells us how we can live in this crooked and twisted generation in which we should shine like stars. Lord, will you help us to shine like stars this week? Will you help us to um, obey out of great love for you? And Father, when people ask us why, Lord, give us words to say, Lord, which will witness to these people who do not know you, the great love and mercy of, Christ, of, of God to us in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.